Anatomy of Mixtape. It's been a while since we have put out an episode. We've done a few recordings in the past, or in the past year or so. Uh, some not turned out so great. Some probably recorded at the wrong time. I guess politically, not not even politically, like uh, socially, socially. Um, and, um, but if you want a taste of one of those episodes, it is on our Patreon, which correct. we always forget yeah. to plug. Like, it does exist. Um, yeah, uh, any of those episodes you will find on our Patreon uh, page, and you can always find a link to that in the episode description. It's a link tree. Uh, you can find it in one of those links in there. And today we're going to be talking about the classic album from Limp Bizkit, Three Dollar Bill, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you may be asking yourself, classic? Is this considered a classic? In some respects, yes. Yeah. I mean, arguably, um, even though they became one of the world's most hated bands, and but not really so much the band, but really just Fred Durst being just a complete fucking asshat. Yeah. Um, that had generated the, you know, infamy of the band more than anything i think uh because we've been talking about this album uh last few weeks uh i think what was something like last month we decided oh i mean i realize it's second of september recording this so last month was just two days right. ago but you know some <laughs> weeks ago <laughs> I, I will say that i have for some reason or another um prior to uh fred durst uh, getting some sort of notoriety in the media Regarding his wig and his new appearance, <laughs> and his new appearance, his, uh, his, his, performing like, James, at his like James Hetfield esque uh, right. mustache, and their, uh, their performance at Lollapalooza, which again, I didn't even know that was still a thing. <laughs> yeah, but Limp Biscuits playing Lollapalooza, so that should tell you a lot <laughs> about where that Lollapalooza festival has, is at. Uh, devolved to, <laughs> yeah, that's I guess that's the more appropriate word. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, when I when I heard Limbiscuit was playing Lollapalooza, first of all, I was like, Limbiscuit is still playing, and there's still Lollapalooza. Yeah, well, I mean, questions. Yeah, from some Wikipedia diving that I was doing yesterday, evidently there's another album. I can't remember the fucking name of it, but they've been working on it as of this year. Yeah, apparently they have like a thirty some songs for the. I I. I may have heard this incorrectly, but I heard it was going to be like a double album. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be their wall, their melancholy and infinite sadness, their... Well, there's going to be some infinite sadness, I think, but... <laughs> their garage ink. <laughs> oh. There are some great, yes, uh, there, there great are. covers yeah. on that, and those are not bad double albums we're talking about, but for Limp Biscuit, you know... 20 plus years from their kind of formation. Right. Uh, I think they kind of got going in the mid nineties. I'm not sure when exactly decided to actually. Yeah. Call Cause I mean, Biscuit. uh, regarding this album, uh, this album did come out 19 July 1st, 1997, 20 plus years already. I'll you know, say like 24, 24 yes. years, 24 years. So, damn. 24 years since the first official Limp Biscuit album came out and changed the world. <laughs> And here we are. They're going to come out with a new, possibly, double album. Who knows? Do they have the creative fortitude <laughs> to to complete such a like a feat like that? I mean, that's those are made by bands that are like heavily creative in some way or another. 
Yeah, what kind of a concept album is this going to be? You know? like, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be like total retaliation from like uh, Woodstock '99 or something. Oh shit! <laughs> so this is about a band that uh, plays Woodstock '99 and gets blamed for like all the tragedy and all the mishaps that happened. Do you think like West Borland is going to be there, like in? You know, his body paint and masks sort of get up with his cool contacts, but More with like a cane because, <laughs> you know, all those years of doing all the weird, you know, right. crazy, you know, body twerking, you know, before twerking was a thing. Was Wes Borland a uh, early adopter of twerking? Because in Possibly. some of those fucking videos and performances, man, he's just... Or maybe more like he was one of interpretive dance. I'm not sure. Like, mm. you know what? I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'll say interpretive dance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> interpretive uh, guitar playing. A- anytime I think of Limp Biscuit, of course I think Red Hat, and I think West Borland, and I think I feel sorry for the guy, like always, because <laughs> like I always feel sorry for the guy because he's a really great guitar player. And he's, there's been a few times where I know he's left Limp Bizkit. Yeah. And so, but he, but, or he may be a dweeb, but he's not dumb because he knows where that money's at. And you got to, you got to go back to where the fucking money's at. You go, you play the guitar. He's playing the guitar. He doesn't really have to do anything else. And I feel like uh, Fred Durst kind of like lets him do whatever he wants. So, I mean, as much as he might hate the music or the band themselves, I I don't think he hates the band, but. I think he just hates the idea of the band. Well, it's also um, so uh, Ross Robinson, who was like the, I think I think he was the producer of this album, uh-huh. or, or yeah, he was. Um, the lore goes that he didn't like really give a shit about Limp Biscuit. <laughs> he didn't care what they were doing, but his girlfriend at the time apparently fucking loved it. So then, because of that, like high praise. He decided to give them a shot and um, evidently through time, also according to the lore of Wikipedia, uh, (laughs) he and uh, Borland became buds Uh and it's suggested that it's because Robinson felt that West didn't really like take the band very seriously. (laughs) Maybe that's where the costumes come from. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and uh, another thing, though, like going back to West Borland, uh, you know, he's got this like crazy on again, off again relationship with like being a band member uh, of Limp Bizkit. Um, But as I was reading the last couple of days, you know, people really dig his shit. Yeah. But they bitch about this album because although he's good, it's kind of like he doesn't get a chance to shine or didn't really have like a handle on his craft so to speak well i i say like there's a few times in this album where <clears throat> uh the whole band kind of gets to shine a little bit and like where they kind of show their technical abilities uh and but they're very very minor like well it's i kind of feel about that about like dj lethal um yeah formerly of house of pain who hopped on this group hopped in this group <laughs> um where it's just you know he gets a couple scratching moments towards the end of tracks because in the moment or in the, the main like thrust or for lack of a better term of the tracks, like, like where's the scratching at, you know, where, yeah, where's this DJ that, you know, they're like, Oh, we got DJ lethal, man. Fuck yeah. Right. And you'd never hear him. I, there was an interview. 
I remember from quite a while back where DJ Lethal was saying that he was trying to do, I guess, for DJing or scratching whatever Tom Morello did for the guitar. Right. So basically you have Tom Morello. That was not in this album. <laughs> it was not. And exactly is what I'm saying. It was not. Holy shit. And I mean, I haven't delved deep enough into any other Limp Bizkit album because it's really hard for me to want to do that. I mean, from the uh, the album that came after this, which was Significant Other. other yeah. Uh, the big hit is obviously Nookie. Oh man. Like I dropped off immediately after that. <laughs> and it's it's unfortunate because like, when I first heard this album, um, I remember thinking it, was, it seemed somewhat new because at the time I hadn't, I hadn't heard, like really heard a, a Rage Against the Machine or um, any of the Anthrax, uh, Public Enemy stuff, you know? So I was, my only reference point to a rap rock combo was Aerosmith and Run DMC, all right? So in my mind, when I heard this album, I was like, oh, they're like doing the shit from like, way back then, right? Right. And it felt like they had some more potential uh, in them because, of course, the the band members themselves are pretty accomplished musicians. And especially that drummer, John Otto, I was just like, this guy's like fucking trained and shit. Like, Dude, here, his- here he is fucking playing in the biscuit. I would say it, it almost seems like the equivalent of uh, like a Jimmy Chamberlain in Smashing Pumpkins because Jimmy Chamberlain's a big band guy. Like, he, he really studies the craft and he's playing in a rock band. You know, but I, I feel that Jimmy Chamberlain has more time to shine because Billy Corgan like doesn't know anything about drums necessarily, so he'll let him do whatever the fuck he wants. Here, John Otto, although has moments where he does, there's a point where like I forgot what song it was, but we'll get into it where they do like this whole like jazzy breakdown. Yeah, and which is really cool. Like I was like, man, they're doing that. I go, where the fuck is more of that kind of like that. Uh, Shit, it almost seems out of place, but it fits well with what they're doing. And I feel that uh, Fred Durst is the guy driving the driving the truck along, and he's just keep it to the formula, keep it to what we're doing, and blam, blam, just keep it going. And I don't, again, I haven't heard any of the other albums, so I don't feel that any of that other uh, experimentation was on any of the other albums, or like they didn't, we weren't allowed to go as far as they would like to or could have. Yeah, and. Um Going back to some of the musicianship of the the band themselves, uh, you know, apparently Wes Borland just gets better and be- better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to listen to more fucking Limp Biscuit to find <laughs> that out. Um, um, I mean, just going by singles alone. Um, I know, like in like the, the song Nookie. Uh, Wes Borland plays like this four string kind of like bass type ish guitar for that particular track. And I like that he's at least trying to do something more experimental in the way he's playing or what he's playing, even on what the actual uh, guitar is. But I mean, it doesn't really come through for me because it just sounds like big old thumping percussive kind of uh, guitar playing. Big sound. I'm pretty sure live it sounds really cool because it's probably fucking loud as fuck and everyone's getting into it. But like, if I'm going to sit back and listen to the album, it doesn't seem like something I really want to invest my time into. Well, yeah, and, and evidently, uh, you know, Tool is an inspiration for Limp Bizkit, you know. And uh, I sit there and I listen to 
this album and think about some of the singles off the later albums. And I did listen to chocolate starfish a little bit when it came out. I think I was like in eighth grade or something like that when it yeah. dropped. Um, so I was like the perfect target audience for right. that bullshit. But, but thinking back and like going, okay. And I believe there was somewhere I was reading where, uh, Borland got to meet and became buddies with, uh, Adam Jones from Tool is the guitarist, and I don't hear anything slightly resembling Jones's work in West Borland shit. And uh, just to well, that's what I'm saying is like I feel like it's it's more the creativity is more stifled because I don't know how much room there is for that unless they're going to do some kind of long breakdown or or long uh, instrumental part. Yeah, but I mean, like Adam Jones is considered, I think, uh, I can't remember which uh, music critic list or whatever, but he's like number 75 of 200 greatest guitarists of all time. And I don't think Wes Borland's even fucking near that fucking list. And they just don't sound similar at all. And then percussion-wise, once again, if Tool was an inspiration... I'm not hearing, you know, any fucking Danny Carey out of auto, right? but auto can play. And I think his actual, his bass drum shit is actually really fucking well put in on this album. Mm-hmm. Like there was some stuff I was, to, I was like, fuck yeah. Like, yeah, yeah this, this, this is good. Well, <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like there's, there's times where, um, their instrumental, uh, capabilities you probably like does shine. And, but again, I feel like, you get it, and you're. Kind of, I'm like, oh man, that's really fucking good. And then we go back into the same. Yeah, and then they do the same shit, the same you know? style of playing. Yeah. Yeah. And then Durst is once again bringing back the same fucking lyrics, like, like on pollution, which we'll get into a little bit. But you know that whole like, uh, can't really leave it to it. You know, then I'll bring that beat back. Yeah, you know that happens like three times in the fucking track. And it's like, <laughs> okay, dude, all right, we get it. You know. <laughs> um, so another thing that, you know, we had talked about and it was really something you brought up and then I sat there and let it marinate a little bit and went, oh shit, you know, Ray hit it right on the hand head there uh, where it was, uh, you know, the band is too good for Fred Durst and what kind of cool music we would have actually gotten, you know, if Fred Durst was not the front man of that band. Yeah, because um, I feel he's like through creative force behind them. And I mean, I, I'm not against a band. I, I mean, back in my younger days um, where you have the terms like sellout and like like uh, corporate shows, whatever the fuck you want to call them, you know, like band needs to get paid, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and they also have to get exposure or whatever. And so right. there's a, a recurring thing that's come up about this album uh, where they paid – $5,000 to a Portland radio station right. to get counterfeit played 50 times. <laughs> yeah. and, I thought that was pretty fucking funny. Well, that's, that's thing, payola. Like, yeah. But the thing is, is that it's not payola if it's fucking announced yeah, that yeah. it's sponsored by like the record company or whatever, which I believe that's, they that, did. That, that's, that's done under the table. Right. Right. Yeah. Payola is under the table. Yeah. But if it's but like if it's if it's actually sponsored or whatever, okay, then that's then. just like paid advertising or right. or or a like paid sponsorship sort of thing. Right. So I don't know if the criticism of Payola was accurate in this sense, but I don't know the whole story. Um I 
didn't go try to dive back and find this fucking radio station and find try, right. try to look for recordings. You know, let me so. let me call the DJ that <laughs> that spun it so I can ask him what he thought. Or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't care about an anime mixtape that much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's kind of like a once a month podcast. We don't need to go too fucking far into it. Oh yeah, well <laughs> until we get into the next topic and I'm like oh, yeah. I'm losing my mind over it. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> and. It's Limbiscuit. Yeah, this so. is Limbiscuit we're talking about. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> but but yeah, so yeah, they they were you know accused of payola. Yeah, but I don't think it's that not was necessarily the case. It's completely accurate, right? Yeah, because I they're not hiding the fact that they did that, right? Yeah. But so I think it was just you know people just fucking hated Fred Durst, you know, right? And then the band by pro- by proxy of <laughs> yeah, Fred because Durst. I mean if, if you think about it, like what band has what up up and coming band has $5,000 to give to a radio station to kind of like drill a fucking song into people's heads. That's a way to get uh, notice. That's a way to get some kind of popularity. Like if you hear it enough, people might start going, oh, first listen, you might just like write it off. A couple listens after that, you're like, oh, well, shit, man, like, this is kind of, this jams, you know? Yeah. I mean, is it technically payola if people buy their instruments and not tell you how, where they have the money for it from, <laughs> you know, to form the band? Like, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, oh, oh, shit. <laughs> Then what are we doing? <laughs> we don't get paid. <laughs> and we're not paying anybody. Mm, well, we paid Roland with beer the last couple, That's true, last, right? couple episodes back, yeah. you know, but That's true. Good that did. But but it was limited. <laughs> <laughs> we started limiting them. So <laughs> <laughs> for the good of the podcast. Right. Um, and and of course, uh before we continue again, let me introduce the person's on it. Oh, uh, normally if you have heard any of our past episodes, you're used to hearing like from like Three to five fucking people on this podcast. Uh, right now, uh, doing a deep dive into Limp Biscuit is just myself, Ray, and Daniel. Who? Uh, we're just trying to make these upcoming episodes for you, the listener, a little bit tolerable. Uh, you won't hear like five, pe- five, four, three people like kind of like trying to overtalk each other. Uh, but we're really trying to get to a really deep discussion of these uh, tracks, uh, music, artists. Because that we actually care about, uh, not that we care about Limp Bizkit yeah, too much, so, but we so want to talk not about get it. Any of that, yeah. you know, on this episode, so so much. Right. Uh, but um, we just kind of been, you know, we've been doing this and other shows for a little over three years now, yeah. and and we kind of had to like reassess and go, all right, are we fucking up? And <laughs> our assessment of Anatomy mixtape, which kind of went defunct for a little bit, was that like, oh yeah, like we can do this better. Um, yeah. So the idea is, uh, to hopefully bring you the listener, a better, uh, show for you to enjoy. It's not gonna be this one though. Um, cause but <laughs> it's it, was just, it was just, you know, Hey, where do we start? You know? And, uh, um, I don't know if I mentioned it just a few minutes earlier, but like the reason we are doing limp biscuit is again, because one reason Fred Durst was kind of in the news recently. And I thought that was a funny thing, but even prior to limp biscuit being in the news, like I was mentioning Limp Biscuit for some reason or another as a joke, uh, kind of, kind of just to piss off Roland. <laughs> and um, I don't know why I kept bringing up Fred Durst. Um, I think I compared Fred Durst to Roland at some point. <laughs> and my only reference to uh, Limp Biscuit is this album because anything after this, I didn't really pay attention to. I kind of like stopped caring about Limp Biscuit because uh, it just wasn't something I was into. My tastes were growing more refined. As you can call it. I mean, I listened to a lot of shit, so I mean, I don't know how much, how refined it really got. 
Uh, but that's why we're doing Limp Bizkit. They, and... they shifted away from pseudo new metal. <laughs> right. Um, um, even though... You, you know, around this time that Limp Bizkit came out, the bands that... See, this is 97. So I guess around the time I got familiar with Korn and Deftones. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of any other new metal bands that kind well, of fit in that little group. And, you know, internet bickering, you know, they have has problematized Deftones even being considered a new metal band. Um, well, I would say at the time they kind of came up sounding like similar to the new metal bands. They had like those grooves. They had like, uh, yeah. I don't know how much rapping there was necessarily, but I know some songs have a bit of a rap element to them. Well, and I believe on a guitar as well, a, a popular element of new metal is to drop D. Right, but like uh, some of these are, they all have these seven string fucking guitars. And that's another thing. Like everyone's like rocking a fucking seven string. Like shove the seven string up your ass, right? Like that's, <laughs> unless you're fucking Steve I. You go six or 12, yo. Yeah, six, like. 12. Don't give me the seven, this eight, <laughs> this 32 strings. Get the fuck out of here with that shit, all right? You go, you're not fucking Steve I. You're not fucking doing like intricate kind of like uh, runs or arpeggios or uh, like augmented fifths and all this kind of shit. Shut the fuck up already. Like you're not doing it. Yeah. Sorry, Wes, but you did licks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just like every other rock band prior. Like I think the only, I I would say like Korn kind of got a lot of that uh, seven string nonsense, but it's because they were tuning down to a ridiculous A a, whatever that A tuning was and so it could sound really like low and like dirty and shit like that and I mean that's their thing you know whatever the fuck I don't really think unless you're going to tune down that low you don't need that extra string because I mean I don't know what kind of fucking chords you're trying to play so like I guess teach his own whatever <laughs> I think out of all those bands um, I think Deftones is the only one I still currently listen to I felt they got a little bit more creative with their albums as they went along. Then Biscuit pretty much stayed in that same uh, repetitive rap rock. niche that they dug for themselves. Right. And and they really want to claim that niche too. Like, because, I mean, they have a song claiming that other people were stealing their shit. So, I mean. Yes. (laughs) Um, Because apparently, according to the lore, and, you know, this is referring to the track uh, Counterfeit itself, which was their third track on the album. Um because apparently in the area of uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, when they were coming up, apparently when they started doing their shit, like five or six other bands popped up and were trying to, and were like imitating that sound or whatever. And I don't know if it's because of Limp Biscuit or just because of what was happening at the time. Happening. Yeah. yeah. Because corn was blowing up like crazy. Well, corn corn was blowing up, and like around that time, I remember uh, the band Cold Chamber coming out. Fear Factory they, as well. Fear Factory. They, they all kind of had that same kind of uh, low tuning stuff, and I think uh, Cold Chamber sounded the most like Corn, a little bit. That was just me though. I never really gave them much of a listen. Uh, I, I think if you if you listen to Cold Chamber's first album, they for sure would probably sound more like the early Corn and. Just quickly circling back to the Deftones, uh, recently I was provided a link to a Spotify playlist for one of my friends, and she was like, oh, fucking Deftones are fucking awesome, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, MK, like, I've heard, like, change. Yeah. (laughs) And it's all right. 
And so, you know, she threw me the Spotify link. I tried to dive in. I was like, maybe I'm just not hip enough. I don't know. <laughs> like it just, it still sounded a bit like noise to me. Um, but I'm once again, encouraged to dive back in because I found out you dig Deftones a bit. Yeah, I do dig Deftones a lot. Like Which, that, that's a, that's a band I've still listened to regularly. It's just, but also just, I also didn't really get them the time of day right. so much. And, you know, maybe as I, one day when I get a wild hair in my butt, I'll just hop back in and go, all right, let's see what's going on. Man. <laughs> hey, man, I mean, sometimes um, it's just not your thing, you know? No, sure, sure. And right, just- I, 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 I'll admit, I mean, sometimes it, t- it took a few listens for me. Um, I remember when I first heard uh, Tom Waits for the first time. I saw a live performance of him on The Daily Show, like when Jon Stewart was still around. And I was just like, I don't get it i can't get into it but then uh joe who was also a contributor to anatomy mixtape um he was a big tom waits fan and he to get me into it he threw me rain dogs and then i heard it i was fucking hooked like that was it for me and i became a big tom waits fan after that yeah all it took for waits for me is uh he's listened to a little bit of our stuff but uh my buddy Shelby, he just, he was going to college somewhere else. And just, we were talking on the phone one day. It's like, Hey, you heard of Tom Waits? I was like, no, like you check him out. I think you like him. And just on his word alone, it just gave enough. Right. It was enough of a reason for me to go. Okay. Right. And I don't remember which album grabbed me. And, uh, we have Tom Waits songs have appeared on earlier lists and permutate or earlier permutations of this show. Um, but, we should give the man his due at some point for a deep dive, I think. I, oh, for sure. Um, that one I need to do, like uh, you said before, we need to come correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to give out any kind of misinformation or just some like lackluster um, wiki dive or something. Like, like I, this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like this episode, you know, because <laughs> biscuit, come on, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, I do have documentaries on Tom Waits. And that's just kind of like early years prior to uh, Rain Dogs and stuff like that. Or um, or was it Frank's Wild Years when he started like kind of like shifting Getting over? Getting weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a documentary that covers a lot of stuff before that and all the people who were with him uh, when he was making those earlier albums. And some of them were just like, I can't go any further with you because like, he's going to he's fucking going crazy. He's going completely different direction. And what I appreciate about an artist is when they can kind of or a band if they can change what they're doing, still keep like a core element of what you like about them, but uh, change it up just a little bit. And that's what I was kind of hoping with Limbiscuit. They seem to have uh, a big palette in front of them and they kind of just chose one flavor and just kept on going with it, you know? Yeah. And if the, you know, the internet critics can be believed, uh, you know, Wes Borland seems to be the only one in that group that, still tries to experiment and, you know, tried to progress his art. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know he does like solo or side projects and shit like that. Um, I actually tried just, just to get a quick uh, taste of a, a band that he did with his, started with his brother. Um, I don't remember the name. It's, it's on my Spotify, but um, yeah. I had seen Wes Borland kind of do a lot of uh work with uh, bands. He played live with certain bands. I think, I think from what I remember, 
Uh, he played with like Autumn to Ashes, like live shows and stuff mm. like that. I've never heard that band. Yeah, I've I do not care to. Of them <laughs> I've heard of them. I'm, I don't care to. Yeah. It's not my thing. Um, I think it's during that whole screamo kind of uh, phase in music, probably like 2001 to 2010-ish. Just not my thing. Uh, but again, he always came back. And I, I know that that one album... They did with the guitarist from the band Snot, which was another like kind of like underground band that I knew about because uh, high school kids who played in bands really dug Snot. And apparently they were like an up and coming band, but then the singer died. Hmm. And so when Wes Borland left, they got the guitar player from Snot to come in. I heard the single, didn't give a shit. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh man, this guy's in there? Man, they might change up. No, nah. it was like, <laughs> as mediocre as you could possibly get. Again, feel sorry for the guy. He has to come into a situation where he's probably, it's almost, he's being relied upon to kind of shine and almost kind of like spruce things up a bit, you know, change it up, you know, spice things up. And it was just mediocre as, at best. I guess we can uh, actually start getting into the actual album tracks. Uh, we're going to go by, we're going to go track by track. Uh, just a quick discussion of each one. Um, I heard this album about four or five times in the past couple of weeks. Um, I sat there, listened to the album casually in my car a few times. Then I sat there with a pen and paper with the lyrics out and with uh, Google typing in song meanings possibly that, I mean, just from what I'm gathering from the lyrics, what I thought the songs meant or what I cared to find out. And again, I read the lyrics as I was listening to the songs, writing little notes here about each track. And this is what we're going to present to you. I don't know. How did you go about it? You just kind of like listen as I, listen to your fucking ears bled. Just about, man. Like uh, I do not know how many episodes I listened to or how many fucking times I listened to this fucking yeah. uh, record. Uh, I remember uh, it was sometime last week uh, I was cooking dinner, drinking beer and, uh, had my speaker out and I threw this album on and Jill looks up and she goes, are we listening to fucking Lent biscuit? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, you know? And she's like, Oh, that's right. It's for the podcast. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and then last night, uh, when I was listening to it again and, uh, I was working on a description for an episode of Sinquest and, I was going to try to start jotting some stuff down for this episode and went, why, why would I do that? Um, <laughs> you know, Janelle's just over there in the dining room area, which is about 20 feet from where we're sitting. And she had headphoned up and apparently had the volume up loud enough to overcome. And I wasn't blaring this shit, you know, but yeah, she was not interested in listening to this, even as background stuff. <laughs> she was just farting on her phone. So, like, <clears throat> sweetheart, when you listen to this episode, because I'll probably force you to sit down and listen to it whenever it's done. <laughs> but uh, sorry for this. Um, better stuff's coming. <laughs> but as far as the some of the prep, uh, when you mentioned how you sat down, looked at lyrics on Google, listened to it. I did the same thing. And then, so I would go through it, um, then move away from that page and listen to the track again, about 
Still couldn't decipher the lyrics. 60% of Durst's crap is indecipherable. <laughs> like, it's it's just fucking noise. And in my more casual listens, uh, you know, just heading over across the valley for work, you know, just throw this on. I found myself not listening to anything that Durst was saying except for some of the hook stuff. Mm-hmm. And just zoning out on, you know, the fucking instrumentals and going like... Yeah. This is pretty dope. Yeah. This is, you know, and some people bitch about the production value because it's really raw. And that's one thing I really like about this album. Uh, me actually, too. Just, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I did mention to you uh, when we were talking earlier that the production of the instruments, the guitar, the drums, everything sounds like you're just, they're playing like in a small room and like you're just sitting there listening to it. Nothing is cleaned up. It just sounds like just straight. Uh, everything coming from directly from the amps. Um, because, I mean, now you would get productions from bands and everything sounds so clean, mm-hmm. you know, so slick. And one thing I do appreciate about this album is that it sounds very raw. Yeah, I love the messiness of yeah. it. You know, mm-hmm. just- it adds character and it adds a unique character to whatever band's playing, personally speaking. So I would suggest for, I would suggest as a remaster of this album, clean up the instruments or actually, don't clean up the instruments at all. Clean up Durst. <laughs> um, and, and I'm going to ask you in what way you re- refer to cleaning up Durst as in his vocal stylings, his uh, maybe re-record his, maybe his tracks, or maybe cut out all the cuss words and give the Walmart version. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Touche. <laughs> no, um, make it to where Durst doesn't get lost in the sauce of the instruments. Uh, okay. Because when I would tune in or something particularly jump out at me, it's like, okay, this isn't, you know, master craftsman level poetry, but it seems like he's attempting to say something and he'll start off one verse and you hear half a stanza. And then it all gets just washed out or whatever. Um, <laughs> and part of that maybe just me tuning him out. But it's possible. Um, yeah, I was trying to look at the list of tracks and go like, oh, here's a case in point. And but I just want to keep going, keep going back to probably my second favorite track on the album, uh, Pollution. Um, well, I mean, in that case, uh, you want to just start going. Uh, yeah, yeah, intro? yeah. I mean, um, as good a segue as any. Yeah, you know? okay. <laughs> so we have the intro to. Um, Again, $3 bill, which when I started listening to this, I completely forgot about this intro. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah, though. it's actually like, pretty funny. It's basically a preacher talking about- know, Durst uh, as like a Southern Baptist preacher. You right, know? like encouraging people to buy guns and give them to like give them over to Jesus or some shit like that. Yeah, to, you know, fight against the devil and fight against the pollution or whatever, yeah. which, which was kind of interesting commentary because- what has been written about the yeah, soundtrack? Right, one thing I wanted to like ask, like, uh, sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Um, is are they the pollution? Like, are they trying to say like they're the ones that people are going to kind of? Are they people going to complain about them being like noise and stuff yes. like that? Okay, that's the interpretation. But then, but some of the lyrical content, where you know, he's Heather spitting out pollution. Yeah, I don't think that that's necessarily you know a tongue in cheek critique against people critiquing them. Yeah. I think it's was initially, you know, 
hey, yeah, we're spitting out this pollution, this new kind of sound style, you know, because this was, you know, the early days of new metal and people trying to figure out what the rap rock scene um, as it became. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was maybe in response to some of the criticisms they received after this album dropped where they're like, well, this is what pollution is actually about. It's about people mm-hmm. critiquing us and calling what we do pollution or whatever. Yeah. But from the track itself, it seemed like that was their intent to spot kind of, this pollution, trying this to get, new get, sound. They're trying to get ahead of the yeah. uh, critique, I guess. And, you know, um, <laughs> regarding that, I know there's a, I've seen a few times where they're playing live and, like, Fred Durst will, like, kind of lead the crowd in a chant called saying, Limp Biscuit sucks, Limp Biscuit sucks. So, I mean, they're kind of, uh, I guess, just playing on themselves, you know. And, and I know some bands do that. Um, so speaking of Fred, Fred Durst, you know, inciting bullshit, there's a fucking funny story uh, when they toured with Faith No More uh, uh, where at one point the crowd was booing uh, Limp Biscuit, and Fred Durst called them a bunch of and but he didn't know that one of the members from Faith No More okay. was in the closet at that oh, point. Oh, no shit. And... So it came out later that he went and like like apologized to him or whatever. But it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> jeez, I feel like that intro. It's a, it's like a it seems like a humorous take on um, what they would be going through where people were gonna like because I mean the the album itself is um, at the time when I first heard it, it seemed kind of risque you know like there's a lot of cursing there's oh, a this lot album? of this album okay at the time right at the time um, it seemed um, I mean I was like. 13 years old and then in junior in high school and stuff. And uh, these kind of albums, again, be, someone who was going to church a lot, these albums seem very dangerous. Oh, they're know? so edgy. They're edgy know? as fuck, you know? I remember the first time I listened to Slipknot, dude. Like, I had like a fucking like cross like near me <laughs> and all this stuff. Like, yeah. Like, you looked no over shit. and Jesus is fucking crying and stuff. <laughs> you know, no shit, man. I was like, I was scared of Slipknot, man. Like, and, and, and that's kind of like what I miss about listening to certain types of music um like i there's like a sense of like man i shouldn't be listening to this because it's, it's bad i don't have that obviously anymore i even tried going to the extreme listening to like a band like deicide <laughs> and i was like this just sucks <laughs> this just fucking sucks you know like, <laughs> i was like this is just terrible um and i mean and i had to revert back to like listening to fucking um oh What's those guys? Like I forgot their name is like slipping me. Um, in league with Satan, uh, Venom. Sorry, Venom. <laughs> Probably scarier than fucking Deicide, you know. Uh, but but an album like this seemed kind of like dangerous and kind of like oh man, like I have to like not let people know or parents know that I'm listening to this because like they're gonna say like they're gonna tell me to throw it in the trash or some shit like that. Yeah. I never owned the album personally. I know I think Joe did, which I don't know if he'll admit to this time, but. Um, I don't know. Joe seems to have less and less shame as time goes by. So. Well, I would hope so. I mean, he seems like a pretty shameless person. I don't know why not admit to like your past the transgressions with music, you know? Like, I mean, like, I never told that Slipknot story to anybody until today. <laughs> until here. Yeah. Everybody, all five of you yeah. know the story now. Tell the world. Tell everything. Yeah. Tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> we just saw Candyman, sorry. Yeah, it was um, the shit. <laughs> So uh, moving on to the actual song, Pollution. This one, 
that that first track is clocking in at 48 seconds. The next song, track two, Pollution, is clocking in at three minutes and 52 seconds. And again, we already kind of talked about it. This song is basically addressing the haters before there were the haters. But I really dig the fucking breakdown towards the end of the track, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. even though it gets a little repetitive with, uh, with Durst, you know. Back, 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 back. Shut the fuck up, Fred. Yeah. Fred, I, shut up. I found that funny is that it's just him telling himself yeah, to shut the fuck which, up. Yeah, you which, know? like, conceptually, a lot of this stuff, like, kind of holds up. Mm-hmm. But just with Dirk's execution thereof, yeah. it just, it hurts this band. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because anytime I think of this album, the first thing that comes off the, is the is the guitar riff that's kind of like going on, like in a envelope filter in the background, and I hear yo fool, and then yuck, and then like he fucking just comes in, you know, which is like I like the way that happens musically, like it comes in like fucking punching, um, like a punch to the face, you know, and uh, and of course there's a lot of breakdowns and stuff which I really enjoy, and then. Then you have like Fred Durst coming in. The one thing I will say about Fred Durst is that I do appreciate that he is trying to do multiple voicings on this album. Yeah. You know, it's never just one type. He's either rapping in a kind of like childish, squeaky way. He's screaming and you could tell he's trying to like, he's really trying to get it out because I don't think he's a screamer necessarily. No. And I don't, I don't think because, uh, uh, Janelle and I talked about this. It was just like, I don't know how, you know, some musicians just haven't like just ruined their voices right. with some of the screaming, but apparently you'd be trained how to do that. Yeah. Uh, you can kind of like, most people will like scream directly like from the throat and that's what's hurting you. If you're kind of going more guttural, I guess, like yeah. some of these bands, like they scream from fucking their chest or their gut, you know? So it's from fucking deep. So like, it's kind of like not... They, they've trained, they've done it so much that like it can kind of come easy to them, you know? But, but I mean, I don't think that Durst was trained. That, no, no, exactly. Way, you know? Yeah, because so, I mean, he doesn't seem like that kind of guy, um, but he has his version of that, and I appreciate him trying to do that. And he, but he has, a, I, I personally think uh, he has a decent singing voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not going to like go fucking... Uh, my heart will go on like Celine Dion or fucking Mariah Carey or some shit. Well, He's not even the guys from Air Supply, for God's sakes. <laughs> you know, later track on this album, you know, he gives homage to the main nerd from Tool yeah. uh, during a break. And I kind of went, oh, I can see that mm-hmm. and I can hear it. Um, and so that was kind of cool, but. I think that that kind of just goes more to the point of like, you know, that Durst does have a range. Right. It's fairly limited. Um, and I don't think that like, once again, you know, they kind of found that little niche that they dug out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And they decided to stay there. Um, Cause I think about like tracks off of significant other and chocolate starfish where Durst is doing the more, you know, whiny rap sound and screaming bullshit even though later albums he's not screaming as much right and i think that actually kind of hurts the band too because it just takes some of the you know that that rawness like away the, like the a bit of intensity the yeah. passion if you will passion uh, of the durst <laughs> the passion of the oh, is that the episode title <laughs> is that the episode title i think it goes <laughs> 
I already see him carrying the cross, man. <laughs> <laughs> With his red hat on. Can <laughs> uh, hear that pollution song playing too. Like fucking, oh, he's just getting whipped and shit. <laughs> and y'all gonna bring that beat back? <laughs> <laughs> he's up there, father. Bring the beat back, back, back. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> And then it made, and it's perfect because he goes in the concert of the Trinity where he's telling himself to shut the <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> God damn it. All right. All right. Oh. Uh, uh, so, yes, yeah, so that was a uh, pollution. Pollution. Um, on to the next track, um, track number three, which clocks in at five minutes and seven seconds that is counterfeit uh personally uh for me uh pollution and counterfeit are my two favorite tracks on this album and uh i didn't realize um probably until like yesterday that counterfeit was an actually actually uh released as a single and it was a music video for it which i also did watch which i actually did like i did not know it was a music video for man that that video is 90s as fuck and I will say because the clothes, clothing, um, the kid in there, he has his like little uh, CD player headphones on. Fuck yeah! And uh, I, th- I think this was just before or prior to Eminem, but he has like that blonde hair too, and he's got these kids and bully uh, that are bullying him, looking like they're fucking wearing Jinkos. <laughs> 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 and you know, like those. Um, those short sleeve shirts that were like solid color and they had that white stripe. Yeah. Yeah. Wearing that Holy shit too. Holy shit. And they're just bullying him and shit. And then of course, um, the song counterfeits coming on. Of course, Fred Durst is wearing his, he, he doesn't have the red hat yet. He's wearing like that furry looking like, um, Oh, the fucking like Kangle. Is that what it's called? No, 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 no. Wait, no. Yes. Yeah. It looks like a little bucket hat. Yeah. A yeah, Kangle, like, dude. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He's wearing that. And, um, of course, um, everyone else is just normal. <laughs> no, 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 not, not that. Not no, not that. Sorry. Yes, but furry-ish, I think. Um, fuzzy. Yeah, that, the black one right there. <laughs> That's, <laughs> that fucking one. Wow. Whole oh, $6 for Durst. Good job. He's wearing that fucking hat. <laughs> well, it's just probably like. Two ninety nine at the time, nineteen ninety four money, <laughs> ninety seven. <Man>. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So I saw the video and I was just like, God damn! Like the nineties is like just oozing out of this fucking song, right? Of course, uh, counterfeit is that um, is a result of uh, Fred Durst. Uh, we talk again. We talked about this. Uh, there were bands at the time when they were playing in Jacksonville who apparently were biting their style. And so Fred Durst and well, actually it said it was written by Wes Borland, but I think musically it was, I don't know if Wes Borland was writing those lyrics. I always iffy like, I think Fred Durst is the lyric writer of this band. And as a, as a whole, they all write the music together. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was just thinking about like, what could fucking Fred contribute to any of this? Right. You know, like- well, lyrics, of course. I mean, read the lyrics and you'll be like, oh, yeah, Fred Durst definitely wrote these, <laughs> these lyrics. Um, and I, I did write a note that said, uh, musically, this is probably my favorite track. Um, I just like the heaviness of it, the rawness of it. And um, 
the very simplistic uh, um, guitar and, of course, the breakdowns in between where Fred is rapping, which I could mm, take or leave, whatever. Um, but yeah, that is my favorite track on this album. Freaking me, yeah, you wear a mask all counterfeit. Yeah, the lyrics themselves, <laughs> the, 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 the lyrics, that that line makes me cringe a lot. Yeah, because it's like, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And and on top of that, uh, before that even starts, you get that little, you freaking me out, you wear a mask all counterfeit. Yeah. Fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I, and, is a fun track. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I, I've always been a fan of like, um, I guess what would sound like guitar harmonics uh, in a song. And I don't, I don't know if yeah. Borland's doing that or DJ Lethal is doing that. And um, one reason why I personally like the song Mud Shovel from Stained, because again, the guitar is doing like these like uh, harmonics up and down the neck. And it has that real like uh, fuzzy kind of noise to it. That's just me personally. I like that. And again, uh, the song Zero from Smashing Pumpkins has that in yeah. there too. Again, something I like a lot. So that's one reason why this track gets me. When I hear those little uh, distorted harmonic uh, notes, I kind of get hooked. So you have anything to add about Counterfeit? Yeah, I thought I liked this song a lot more than I actually do. Because uh, <laughs> when you invoke this album, like, oh, maybe we do this. And I was like, fuck yeah. Yeah. And counterfeit. <laughs> you started listening to some, or you listened to Counterfeit, and I was like, oh, that is a good track. And after the umpteenth time I listened to it the last couple weeks, I was like, fuck, I don't like this song. <laughs> <laughs> but see, that that's the problem is that, like, I feel that, like, whenever we're listening, when I'm listening to it, and I hear, I hear like, kind of in a pass by in a playlist, I'm like, yeah, like, I like that song a lot. But if I've heard it, multiple times in the past couple of days weeks i'm i'm not in, no, i'm not listening to the music necessarily anymore i'm listening to the lyrics yeah and i'm just like Ugh. <laughs> god damn um not po- the poetry i was hoping for um but yeah that's those are my thoughts on counterfeit sorry i had to pull this up because uh the next track uh track number four is stuck that one comes out of comes in at five minutes and 24 seconds and this is the one where I reference it as a the second or th- uh, third verse where Fred Durst references the band Suicidal Tendencies yeah. in the song Institutionalized. And when he's like, all I wanted was a Pepsi, just on Pepsi. I was like, this motherfucker, man. Now, I want to listen to fucking Suicidal Tendencies. I want to listen to that song the right way, right? <laughs> I don't want to hear Fred Durst referencing it. Yeah, see, I fucking, you know, I love the beginning verse of this one where it, uh Psycho he gets, female. <laughs> well, he goes, uh, you know, I've been slammed with some bad luck, so I'm going to bring you doom with the buck buck. And now you duck, duck, goose, I'm letting loose. Like, it's just <laughs> like, like, oh, you make yourself sound so hard, fucking durst. <laughs> like, I bet you don't even own a gun. Like, <laughs> maybe like, well, let's see, Jacksonville. So probably some redneck shit was like a shotgun or something. Right. Like, oh, actually, it makes sense with the buck buck, I guess, you mm-hmm. know. Maybe it's killing some, uh, some buck. I don't know. I don't think about guns. <laughs> nah, dude. Nah, I don't think deer exist in that state. That's yeah, I'm thinking all fucking birds, right? And birds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 fucking deer just like running through fucking Disney World and shit. <laughs> <coughs> Bambi. <laughs> buck, buck. <laughs> oh, shit. Durst is coming. <laughs> 
Um, I uh, I'd laughed the first time uh, recently when I heard it the first time when he he says like the line that psycho female blowing up the phone line. I was just yeah. like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> well, I will say that this is probably the one track that I can think of readily that um, DJ Lethal is actually present on. Right. Mm -hmm. um, where I'm sure he's on all these tracks somewhere. Well, I mean, according to the videos, he's like scratching vigorously in the background. <laughs> yeah, but all DJs do that. Like, they're all the yeah. Linkin Park stuff where like- He's just like fucking a, going crazy. Yeah, now. and it's like, wait, where's this? <laughs> you go, man, it must be drowned out in the mix. <laughs> I mean, it's like fucking like any DJs now, like they're all like, you know, fucking MacBook, you know, DJs right. and stuff. But they're sitting there like, oh, yeah, I'm doing stuff. And they're just hitting, you know, space. The, the one thing I did overlook was the fact that DJ Lethal isn't just scratching. I forget he has other things there, like a drum machine and shit like that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's pushing shit, too. Like yeah. he's not just pushing. He's not just scratching that fucking record. He's pushing shit. So any other like sound that you're soundscape that you're hearing in the background that's him doing it and but uh, you wouldn't know it until you're like oh what's dj lethal doing and then you hear that and then you're like oh there he is like now he's doing something <laughs> <laughs> you go what's he doing he's, he's getting a, a pretty big paycheck for just well, sitting there yeah well because on this album uh, he gets washed out you know yeah most of the time yeah. um which but that i think that has to do with the the production of the raw sound like you're not going to get that nuance from the DJ in the background. Mm -hmm. I mean, those the low end of the bass and the thumping of the drums and the loudness uh, of the guitar, they're going to drown everything man. out. You know, they're, I think it was in Pollution, going back to that, but he's talking, talking about, you know, my sticky rhymes with the funky bass lines or whatever. And it was just like musically and lyrically at that point, like they were really in sync as far yeah. as just, you know, whatever vibe they're trying to put out. And then I was like, okay, that's, that's an ill like section of this. Mm -hmm. um, so they're, they're, this album probably more grew on me than repulsed me. Yeah. But I'm just tired of listening to this yeah, fucking album. Sure. I'm glad we're finally <laughs> getting this out of the way. Um, <laughs> um Yeah. But that, that go, would go for pretty much mostly everything. If you have to constantly shove it in your ears, read it over and over again, at some point or another, you got to just take a break from it. Maybe you might come back to it. I hadn't come back to this album like for years. <laughs> I just remember those two songs, of course, the the cover that we're going to talk about in just a moment, yeah. and Sour as well. Um, but yeah, so that was Stuck. Uh, again, to me, I call it the Suicidal Tendency song, uh, the Pepsi <laughs> song, if you will. Before before I move on from that, uh, basically the song is talking... I had a little bit of uh, questions of what the song is about. Is he talking about like gold diggers or groupies? See, I'm not um, sure. It seems like he's just, you know, it's. But this, this is the song that, this is the song I didn't mention earlier that has that jazzy breakdown. Mm -hmm. And which again, makes me like the song, but I feel like I shouldn't necessarily like it as much as I do just because of that breakdown. And it's a, it's a really good breakdown. I mean, if we could play music on this particular podcast, if we had the money to just throw around, um, I would like to play that section specifically. And I know in our previous episodes, we have played a lot of music and shit, but we're like, <laughs> we're pretty much pushing it <laughs> by doing that. So um, from here on out, you won't listen to music necessarily, but if you want to listen to the Patreon version, there might be music yeah, on there. We might got you there. Yeah. We might get you there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, bitch about lyrics being misogynistic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I can kind of agree to a certain point because mm-hmm. it seems like there's, because definitely with a sour, you know, Durst uh, mentioned how he was like having problems with his lady and that inspired that song directly. But, but then you have like the next track we're going to talk about. Then previous, then then was stuck. It seems like there's this kind of a just general rage against women who've spurned the Durst, like <laughs> in various contexts. You know, like, I mean, he does seem pretty emotional on this album, and it does seem like from direct experience with women. But we also don't hear their side of the story because what kind of person is Fred Durst? You know, like. What what is he doing to Yeah, speaking of like, you know, of that, like I find it really interesting how during the rise of the Me Too movement, he never came up to my knowledge. Yeah, yeah I don't know. So <laughs> I'm like, is is Fred Dress a nice guy? <laughs> <laughs> Can scumbags be nice guys? Like <laughs> he's like, I, I I just write songs. I'm an artist. Hey guys, we want to take a moment to say thanks for listening. And if you want to support this podcast, please share and give a rating if you're so inclined. Or you can click the link tree in the episode description. Check out our other podcasts, our YouTube channels, and our merch. We would really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and enjoy the rest of the episode. All right, so uh, track number five. Uh, comes- Nobody loves me! <laughs> Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Coming in at four minutes twenty-seven seconds. Um, this is like one kind of a whiny song for me. Um, yeah, the, the, just a little the, bit. The, the lyric <laughs> may uh, I'll go and eat worms. I'm like, is that him just saying like I should just go and die? Is that what he's well, saying? Well, it's that that whole like bullshit. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go and eat worms. Um, is that what? Is that real? Yes, I did not know that. And uh, evidently, uh, Durst's mom <laughs> used to say that all the time, like when he was in trouble as a kid or whatever, mm-hmm. and was mad at her. She's like, "Well, I guess nobody loves me. I'll go eat worms." And apparently, she had a counter cross stitch thing um, that said, "You know, nobody loves me. I guess I'll go eat worms or something like that." Like. On a wall somewhere. I did not. I was not aware of that. Yes, I I did some deep diving today. Um, <laughs> deep dive for limb biscuit. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, I still tried. <laughs> I put in like a junior college effort on the <laughs> research. <laughs> but yeah, um, so definitely that was part of the inspiration for the track. Um, but yes, other than that, like fun aside, without that context, you know. Yeah, you've, I, you've I, th- I thought heard- he was. I thought he was trying to be like clever and saying like, "Well, maybe I'll go eat worms." You've never heard that. Fucking I've never heard song? that saying oh, ever. Man, ever dude. In my life. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, that's a thing, dude. Um. <laughs> well, that puts that in a whole new kind. It's still a whiny song. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it was a whiny song. That the whole like phrase is based off of. But yeah, yeah, and, and it's unfortunate with um, again, even with this track that Fred's Fred Durst. I'm kind of like we're like friends now. Fred's lyrics, uh, you know, Freddy, over, over, overpower. He just, he just really had some potential, but then old <laughs> is, uh... <laughs> um, to me, this song was somewhat forgettable. 
So I'm, I really don't have too much to say about Nobody Loves Me. because yeah, This like, is the one where, you know, he has a little like homage to Tool in there. Oh, okay. Um, All right. And so that one, and, you know, and we were talking about this earlier, but because of reading how Tool was one of my favorite bands, uh, mm-hmm. was an inspiration for Limp Bizkit. I was like, okay. So I went back and I was like, well, it probably wasn't the Enema album, which came out in 96, that they were based on all this stuff on because they were probably recording during that time. Right. Um, but for the, the genesis of the band, you know, inspirations thereof, uh, I was like, okay, well, maybe like Opiate or Undertow. So I listened to Undertow on the way home from work after listening to about half of this album. Yeah. And went, okay, maybe because it sounds raw. <laughs> 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 I didn't really find any parallels between you know, the, that. This is so raw. It's too raw. <coughs> uh, yeah, I mean, to me, again, forgettable song. Um, nothing really stood out to me other than the fact that he was just constantly repeating the nobody loves me, nobody cares thing. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, and in the very Fred Dursey way, too. Oh, Dursey yeah. way. <laughs> Um, so I guess we can move on to the next track, which is Sour. That comes in at three minutes and 32 seconds. God damn. And that, was it that lo- spring break program? Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was the MTV uh, Beach House. I remember Holy seeing that shit. for the first time ever. And I remember seeing that acoustic performance. Um, again, I felt like the biscuit had potential. And maybe at the time, I mean, I don't see it now. <laughs> the percussion sounded amazing on that version, though. Just, yes. You know, with the live and, bongos and all that shit. I was like, And yeah. I mean, you have, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this before, is that uh, the bass player, Sam Rivers, and uh, uh, Wes Borland getting that groove going. And, of course, John Otto with the bongos and stuff like that. Um, I think they did a really good job. It was hype, man. Yeah. I, I dug it. And, again... I was hoping that the Limp Bizkit would have more to offer because I was like, oh, man, they're doing an acoustic version of their song. I go, you don't hear that too much from a band like that. And I know fucking like Corn tried to pull this shit off. And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's disgusting. Uh, but I, I remember seeing the video, too. And the song itself, I do like a lot because I felt like it showcased a little bit more of a creative uh West Borland's creativity and like the guitar, his guitar work. And of course you got Sam Rivers and John Otto keeping that groove going right underneath that. And then you have Fred Durst. Yeah. <laughs> then he goes and has a Durst. And uh... the, the one line, the one I, line I, I do find humorous in this is like when he says like, I sound like a bitch, a little bitch. In <laughs> <laughs> and so once again, it's like, you know, he's like he's a bit self-deprecating in this yeah, song, which I do. But, but I think that was more like, but also potentially being like reflexive, a little bit as well. And so I was like, okay. And so it's self-deprecating, reflexive humor. Yeah. Which is kind of present in like pollution and counterfeit yeah. a little mm-hmm. bit. And so I was like, well, damn, you know, like. They had more potential than I think they realized. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But just they just let Fred kind of do his thing. Yeah. 
you know, our, our good friend Fred, who's yeah, probably going to sue the shit out of us or for yeah. defamation of character or something. No, no, I'll, I'll call him and let him know we're doing this episode. Oh, so, right, yeah. right, Well, I texted him earlier. He didn't respond, so he might be already mad about it. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. No, but I'll call him. I'll, I can uh, solve things up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and and this, is, this is the one note uh, I did put on uh, the song Sours that this is the one where I don't mind Fred Durst rapping. <laughs> I don't know why like I do have an issue with it in a lot of this album but this one I enjoy it I feel like it fits the song itself see this is one definitely where I tuned Durst out and focused on the instrumentals like this well yeah because I mean the instrumental is great I again um, Fred Durst is present in the mix it's hard for me to tune him out but uh, again, why I don't necessarily mind him on this track because I feel it fits the way his style of uh, rapping. I, I hate saying rapping because I feel like that's not what I don't know. Yeah, but then you go maybe. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but this is no Beastie Boys, you know. No. Like. No, it's not. <laughs> No Rage Against the Machine either. That's uh, he's no Zach De La Rocha either. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we can move on from uh, that uh, the song. So track number seven is a Stalemate coming in at six minutes and fourteen seconds. Some of these songs are really fucking long, which is crazy. actually Stalemate's pretty dope too. Yeah, um, like Durst isn't too bad on this one. Uh, um, uh, let me read you my notes go on for this. It, baby. Then I guess it's like three bullet points. They're nothing like special. It's just. Random thoughts I had as I was listening to this. Thank Christ the band gets to show off their talents on this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice uh, hand tapping uh, technique from Sam Rivers and Wes Borland. Because, um, well, yeah, you, you hear like a certain type of instrument, but it's, I think it's just them both doing kind of like this uh, back and forth. Like, yeah, this back and forth kind of like hand tapping kind of thing. Which is really fun. That, that's primacy. And there's a little fact about Wes Borland. He doesn't play with a pick. Oh, he doesn't? He does not. That's a little thing I read today. I went, oh, oh shit. shit. I did now, not know that. He does not. Yeah. And then he'll, you know, use his uh, left hand to kind of, you know, mute the strings a little bit. Yeah. Um, here and there. But yeah, he does not play with a fucking pick, evidently. Which... Which makes cool. you go like even like that's that's really fucking cool. Yeah, um, it's a nice little <laughs> tidbit there. Uh, I guess that would explain the tone of the guitar also because um, playing with a pick, playing with your fingers, playing with a uh, different type of size or thickness, like really affects the tone. Like if if you really listen to the music, you can tell there's something about the tone that's going on. And if he's not playing with a pick, that makes sense on the way the guitar sounds. Um, I guess uh, one of the other things I did mention, uh, well, notes that I had on this song, uh, lyrics are terrible. Um, is he dreaming about? Is he dreaming about getting revenge uh, with, with that line? Please don't wake me. Yeah, it's like it seems like he was just dreaming about like kicking some bitches' ass, or is it some like imagined nemesis or something that he maybe has, I don't know. know like, I, I I feel like um, we with, should ask him later. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. When I when I talk to him, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Once you smooth things over, yeah, yeah. Right. I'll, I'll ask him, be like, "Hey, man, Fred, remember that song Stalemate, dude? Like, were you like was that song about you dreaming and getting revenge?" He's like, "Oh yeah, fool." <laughs> <laughs> I I'm sorry, Fred. Yeah. I didn't I didn't mean that. All right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Kiss my chocolate starfish, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather drink your hot dog flavored water, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> This stalemate, sour, and I believe the one prior to this one what was the name of the track. Nobody loves. Nobody me. loves me. Nobody I th- I think um, this this is one where like uh, he's basically talk- it seems like he's talking about a woman, like in the, his troubles with the said woman. Yeah. Um, and it seems to cover like three or four songs specifically. Well, and I would say that the next one too, kind of like is in that series as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I agree. So, uh, well, shit. And actually, um, we'll skip track nine for the point of discussion because that's a cover, but also Stink Finger. Yeah. Who's that towards? I, I for, for a minute there, thought he was trying to write a song like Tool called Stink Fist, <laughs> which is my favorite Tool song ever in the world. Um, but yeah, like I thought that he was kind of like ripping on that a little bit. Next track, track number eight, Clunk, comes in at four minutes and three seconds. This is the heavy bass intro one. Nice little groove from Mr. Sam Rivers. You have any thoughts on this track? Just that Durst should have just shut the fuck up. And this, <laughs> this is instrumental. Because, like, really, like, just the bass is really interesting. The percussion is interesting. Um, I don't really remember Wes really at all no. in this track. Um, this is the one where I said, now it's time for DJ Lethal to shine because there's like a lot <laughs> of fucking scratching going on on this track. And I was like, hey, Lethal, you're actually in this band. I forgot. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> this is where you get your paycheck. Gotcha. <laughs> I go, all those years in House of Pain and now's your time <laughs> with that amateur band. <laughs> yeah. Now you're in the big times, baby. <laughs> Now people are listening to your music. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> this song is pretty heavy, and I did like it. But again, Fred, Fred, come on, man! Like, just like tone it back a bit. Just Freddy, tone it back a Freddy, little Freddy, bit, buddy. Freddy, just you know, I know you got really inspired by Spinal Tap that one time you watched it, and you want to take everything to eleven, but. Sometimes you just need to take a backseat, man, and let yeah, your man. bandmates, you know, do their thing because they are way more talented than you. And I know that's hard, harsh, but, you know, go back and think about it, all right? <laughs> we say this because we love you. <laughs> <laughs> You're a nice guy, you know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not mad at you about those red hats, all right? You start a little movement, which I don't like, but <laughs> it's all right. Hey, but at least you made white T-shirts popular again. And probably gold crosses. <laughs> <laughs> he's really a fan of God. I forgot which uh, track it was where he's like, and God. Oh, that's coming up later. That's yes, coming up later. Yeah, it's coming up later. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, I do want to brush over very quickly the cover of Faith uh, from, of course, it's a cover from a George Michael I song. George Michael loved this. Oh, yeah. He loved this. He's so glad they did it. <laughs> so glad. <laughs> One thing I did find funny about the this track and it blowing up when it did was that apparently Faith came out around the time that George Michael got caught in that restroom <laughs> diddling that dude. 
So his controversy <coughs> allowed some popularity to leak over to Limp Biscuit when this song came out, and I thought that was fucking funny. And evidently, uh, Robinson, the producer, he didn't uh, want it on there. He didn't want it on yeah. there until he heard kind of a, I guess, a revised version of it mm-hmm. with some of the scratching and some of the heavier guitar, and he was like, "All right, I guess this is all right." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> Who is this producer and why does he not give a shit? Well, I mean, I think the real producer was his girlfriend. Yeah. Like, you know, she should have been promoted to A&R of uh, yeah, right. and, uh, Interscope. <laughs> right. VP of Interscope. Well, yeah, because that's what Fred Durst became yeah. after this album, which is like, like I, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, man, I don't understand that. I don't understand how this guy who just has this one album Gets catapulted to a very like. I can only assume he's an extremely charming guy. He seems like like everybody seems to like him. He sucked the president off. Well, there's that too. And probably the board. that's fine. But like Fred, we're not judging you. You know, you, like, know, you got to make your paper boo boo and yeah. like, get it how you can. <laughs> um, um <laughs> apparently also that Limp Bizkit was known for taking like pop songs and like. Limp Biscuit eating them up. Uh, one of them that he did mention that they did was Apollo Abdul straight up. <laughs> Fuck. And they mentioned that, that also, not in, not in, also in an article I read, but also it came from his own mouth when I was watching that interview with DJ Lethal, Fred Durst, and Matt Pinfield on 120 Minutes. Literally said that. Holy and he literally shit. like gave a little demonstration acapella about uh, his uh, way of uh, singing that song. And Matt Pinfield, Matt, Pinfield uh, was uh, like, oh man, like I really want to hear that. I'm like, fuck, Matt Pinfield, god damn it, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> now, since he didn't burst out laughing, I've lost all respect for Matt Pinfield. I used to think he was pretty cool. Like, you know, like one well, fucking bald guy. And I like, did, did mention to you, I don't, I think it's the next album where he comes out um, yes. basically going <laughs> off about how Limbiscuit is like the most real shit you're ever going to hear. What? <laughs> That didn't age well. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on to the next track, which is track number 10, Stink Finger. Comes in at three minutes and three seconds. I didn't have much to say about this track. I don't even know what to think about this track because it just seems like it's just this baseless anger against some something. Buddy, yeah, something. Um um, I will tell you this, that like um, there's three tracks at the end of this album that kind of got lost. In, I pretty much just lost all interest at some point. Um, this is one of them. I was tired listening to this. But <laughs> by after, after Faith, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that for the first time. I'm thinking like, these guys are so fucking cool, man. They actually did a George Michael song. That's so cool. Wouldn't have been sweet if this album actually ended at track nine. That would have been a good idea, <laughs> um, but it didn't. Well, um, I'm going to have to take that back in a couple tracks, but. Right. They kind of go one more track. Yeah. They and got, I'll give you that. Well, um, technically two in my book, but we'll we'll get into it in a second. Okay. Um, again, I don't really have much thought. I literally left blank. Blank. <laughs> blank. <laughs> Stick figure. I had nothing to say about this. I was just like, eh, I guess, whatever. It's a track. It's a track on this album. It's called Stinkfinger. And that's all I have 
about it. I'm ready to move on to the next track. Let's do it. Okay, man. track number 11 is Indigo Flow, and that clocks in at 2 minutes and 22 seconds for some reason. I thought it was longer. Dude, this song feels like it's like 20 minutes long. Like. You know, the first time I... Um, I remember you brought it up and I went back and listened to it one morning when I was in line to get some food and I was like, man, this is a long song, but it's only two minutes and 22 seconds. Um, to me, this is like Fred Durst, like he's taking a step back vocally and kind of like coming at it a bit more calmly, which I wish was kind of like the case in most of some of these other tracks. Yeah, because it's like, this is actually, it, it's kind of actually from the heart it seems know, more like, hip-hop uh influence like well geez influence. i mean it's like the instrumentally like this one yeah. just has a fun fucking groove you know yeah. i don't get bored of the bass line even though like it loops consistently yeah. Th- this is him pretty much just thanking everybody yeah all the folks that like got them to where they were at yeah. then you know and yeah, basically mentioning all the guys from Corn, even DJ Lethal, because I guess he had some point he had just joined the band, and um, the guys from Deftones, like yeah. fucking everybody around His that fucking particular parents, time. Yeah. you know, and God, God, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I bought this gold cross yesterday because I love you. <laughs> um, uh, Psycho you- female sold me this gold cross. <laughs> I personally wouldn't have mind if this was 10 tracks, that one being the last one. That should have ended the album, personally speaking for me. That one should have ended the album. It should have hit Faith, Indigo Flow, done. That would have been probably a solid, a more of a solid album to me. The rest of them feel like filler tracks, personally to me. Speaking of filler tracks, the next one, Indigo Flow. I or sorry, not, sorry, Leech, <laughs> Leech, and they make a point to call it the demo version. Yeah, but do we ever get the polished studio version? Of well, I, I think or? I think whenever a band puts the fact that it's a demo version, that there was no need to re-record it. It was good the way it was. So it's just letting oh, the uh, yeah, letting <laughs> the audience Leech then like yeah, one and done. We did it, guys. Perfect. Um, yeah, super. I did see a live performance of this song and I thought it translates better live. Um, on the album, it, it, I kind of lost interest in this one. I don't know what this song is about. It, according to Fred Durst in the live performance, it's like, you know what I like to call people that you just don't want to be around? Leech. That's what he says. <laughs> no, he, Call them annoying, irritating. <laughs> like that's that's I don't literally what he hang says. Out with them. That's literally what he says. Holy shit! That is bereft of any like <laughs> sense and creativity. Like fuck. Yeah, but again, the band comes in, and I imagine live. I'm pretty sure it, it fucking rocks live. Dude, I, I would yeah. go to Old Biscuit show. Like, Me too. I'm, like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I, I would. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna pay a lot. If it's free, there's the no way they could charge that much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pay twenty bucks tops. I'd go maybe thirty. I'd go thirty on 30, it because, yeah. like, hopefully it's at a decent venue with, like, you know, not just Bud Light there. And you can... um, actually, I think it'd probably be a rule to have like just like trash beer and like yeah. bottom shelf fucking liquor. Um, 
I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm going Miller High Life. <laughs> <laughs> the champagne of beers, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So to me, Leech translates a little bit better live uh, on the album. I kind of again, I was exhausted listening to this album. And again, that is another one where there were no notes. I was just kind of like, as soon as the song came on, kind of just blanked out completely. Listened to the whole song. And then I went into the last track. And at least I did mention was clocking in at two minutes, 10 seconds. And then we have track number 13, the last track of this song, clocking in at 16 minutes and 25 There's fucking seconds. There's a joke seconds. that I wanted to make about this track. Uh, where everything on this album rules, but implying that the entire album is great. Oh, but (laughs) 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 you're not here with us. My eyes are kind of just getting wired. Like, yeah, it's just like, Oh, what's he going to say? Yeah. That one went like, well, 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 overall raise, you know, beautiful, (laughs) uh, sculpted hair (laughs) line there. Um, (laughs) I was like, What's he trying to say, though? <laughs> yeah, I was. Well, no. Yeah, well, that does imply that everything else fucking yeah, rules. <laughs> exactly. You know, hence the joke. Um, <laughs> now um, that we're on the same page, right? Here, but um, and we joked about this uh, a couple days ago. It's like you know, this one track rules because. Fred Durst is just kind of like vocalizing for the most part, and you let the band kind of do their right. thing. That's the only good part about this track is that Fred Durst really isn't on it entirely, but they need to shorten the fuck up out of this what track. What blows my mind, though, is that – so we are talking about how uh, – what was it? Indigo Flow felt like it lasted yeah. know, three days. <laughs> Everything – Longest track on it's like a Pink Floyd tool esque level length of a track. Right. This feels super short to me. I never realized like really it was today where I was just looking at the fucking listing on Spotify and went, This is a 16 minute long song? No fucking way. <laughs> well when I was I hadn't listened to this track because <laughs> I knew the length of it, and I didn't listen to it all until today. Oh word. And I would always skip over it. I wouldn't even like bother listening to it. It does not feel that long. Like I well, I was like cutting some up some fruit up in the kitchen when I was listening to this one. And it lasted the whole time. And I think that's probably the reason I noticed more because I was also very much paying attention to the track, waiting, waiting for something to fucking happen. (laughs) And I'm like, I, I would like hit the phone and be like, 10 minutes and not a goddamn thing's happened in this song. Like, holy <laughs> shit. And then I was like, I go, something's got to happen. Something's got to fucking happen. And I marked it at the, literally at the 15 minute mark, the song changes over. And I was like, just stop already, please. Like, <laughs> just fucking stop. <laughs> I called this song fucking ambient nonsense. I was just like, you are not a prog band. All right. You are not like fucking, yes. You are not fucking uh, Rush. You're not fucking like Dragon Force or Dream Theater or any of these fucking bands. I go, don't give me this shit, right? You either, if you're going to give me a fucking 16 minute song, you better fucking diversify the fuck out of the song. Give me some more dynamics or something. So maybe that's like, why it, was it, not it never felt really long because it didn't really change up too much. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, Maybe I was tired 
by Maybe. listening through this album, you know, <laughs> just like, oh, shit. But then it just kind of just felt like my my sensibilities were dulled. <laughs> 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 but but I do I do really dig this track. Um, OK, I, I think musically it's one of the more interesting ones, even though it is repetitive, but it just kind of like lulls you in. Uh, well, see, that that's I, I would say that if it was shortened up, I, I, I have a problem in general uh, with tracks longer than like six to seven minutes. Like I can't handle it, especially if it's repetitive. Like I just can't do it. And it could be any band. It didn't necessarily have to be Limp Bizkit necessarily. Like right, it could just, be just any band, any band. Don't give me that fucking, like, like uh, old Metallica songs when they like fucking go however fucking long they are. And I'm just like, you need to fucking stop or you just stop. I am musically in my mind, I'm a two and a half to three minute, maybe four minute kind of guy. You give me that song, you give it to me quick, I got shit to do kind of thing. And that, I think that's more of a, uh, an ethos, I guess is the term I'm looking for. Uh, whenever I listen to bands like uh, my favorite bands are like like the Ramones or the Pixies or the Clash and stuff like that. They're like, you got shit to do, man. Fucking give it to us and let's move. Let's move. Mm-hmm. Let's go. That's just me personally speaking. Uh, what's one reason why I don't listen to Tool too much? Because I'll take one song at a time as opposed to listening to a whole album from back yeah, to I was front. Say like, you know, how would you uh, if you listen to it? But like Tempest off of uh, Fear Inoculum. I, I've listened to these songs, but like I like seventeen minutes. And but change. that's the thing. I'll only listen to that song. Oh, <laughs> I won't listen to anything else. Out. No, Janelle, I just put on the fucking whole album. It's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Now, now, it depends on also my mood too. Like normally, I'm kind of like just go, go, go kind of guy. Um, if we were actually sitting down and we're gonna listen to it, then I would put my full attention on it. But um, it does take a lot for me uh, whenever it's, we're talking about music, and I have to sit there and listen to a close to fifteen to twenty minute long song i'm just like you better give me something fucking real special man because like i can't sit here and listen to this shit (laughs) again that's just me personally speaking um so that's the end of it that's um that's that's everything um that's the whole track uh oh look at you being kind of punny that's everything yeah (laughs) 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 um I want to go over our overall thoughts for three dollar bill, y'all. I don't know. You want to go first, or you want? Uh, yeah, sure. What the fuck? I don't really care. Go um, ahead. <laughs> once again, it's Limp Bizkit. Um, <laughs> uh, lyrically, not super interesting. Musically, it can get cool. Um, I noticed myself mostly tuning out Durst, focusing on instrumentals, as I've probably mentioned fourteen times in this episode so far. Um, and I'd say that it kind of grew on me, you know, but I'm glad to be done with this bullshit. Because <laughs> uh, some of these songs are really a fucking chore to listen to, particularly after several listens, trying right. to mm-hmm. glean something out for content's sake. Um, mm-hmm. And go, <sighs> like when I was listening to uh, the Undertow album from Tool, trying to figure out like, okay, 93, probably like stuff to help, you know, if they were inspired by any tool, that's probably one of their better known albums, you know, prior to Anima and their later releases. And it was like fucking, you know, 
musical nirvana just popping in <laughs> to listen to a bit of tool for one of my albums i don't really give a shit about from right. them. like i love tool but like undertow as a album i'm not super up on mm-hmm. um, i like singles off of it but it wasn't until anima forward where i was like yeah well concept album ish you know i was listening to the whole fucking thing you know uh, so I'm glad to, you know, get back to some other fucking music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mind you, I, I, every time I listen to this, I always had palate cleansers after the fact, like I would listen to it and immediately listen to something else to kind of like <laughs> get a lot of this out of my head, you know? <coughs> and, and I will say the fact that I, I do have, um, some of these songs on a playlist. Um, but it's. It's more nostalgia. Like I have some good memories listening to this song or at the particular time that I was listening to them. So um, I don't take them too seriously, but. You know. Yeah. See, but there's tracks like off of the significant other and uh, chocolate starfish that, you know, would, if I, cause I'm not big into making playlists. I'd rather mm-hmm. listen to albums or just listen to a random playlist off an artist. Right. Um, you know, but if I got into the crafting of playlists as a, uh, even like 10% as hardcore as you go with your fucking playlists, there might be some stuff like off of those latter albums that would pop mm-hmm. on there just for nostalgia factors and, you know, shit like break stuff. You know, just, you know, it's not well written, but it's fucking relatable. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. The, the amount of times I do bring up uh limb biscuit lyrically speaking at work, um, I think I've brought this up before. I'm always just kind of like making the statement and kind of just like looking around to see who picks it up. And it's always someone around my age, like no one younger than me. They're like, what's that? <laughs> like, yeah, you don't know. I'm like, you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. You're better off for it. <laughs> young. <and. laughs> um, do you have like a, an overall rating for this particular uh, album? Like a, out of five? Damn. Um, you want to think on it while I go through my? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, I'll let you think on it. Okay, so after I made all my notes, I did a little half page here on like little bullet points on what I thought my overall thoughts of the album were. So uh, positives about this is like I like the raw production. I like the fact that it sounds real dirty. It doesn't sound too clean. I like all the instrumentation. I've, the band is very, very good. Um, I won't knock them for that. Um, they are in a band with someone who's, I do appreciate Fred Durst, um, palette of music. You can tell that he listens to a lot of shit and he seems like he's giving it the good old college try to bring this, all his influences in one thing. But these jams are only the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I do appreciate him for that. Um, and I, again, I'm not a fan of uh, Fred Durst's squeaky rapping. I'm not, I really don't like it. Um, again, I do appreciate his passion for the performance that he's trying to give and the different voices that he's using throughout the album. Like, I could, I will say that it's not monotone. He's trying to go in various different stylings with his vocals within his limitations, you know, and he's probably stretching it just a little bit further than they can go, but I do appreciate that. Um, the first two-thirds of this album... 
um, to me were pretty fun, um, somewhat unpredictable in the stylings because, of course, there's breakdowns of like a jazzy breakdown and stuff like that or like just a very groove heavy type of stuff. And I do, I do, I did like that a lot. Um, again, this does showcase a lot of the band's potential, which unfortunately I don't feel we got any <laughs> after this album there at all. There was no resolution. Oh. <laughs> the last third of this um, album, like, of course, at least for, at least for sure, the last it was uh, the song after fucking uh, Faith. Yeah, and then your, and then the leech and everything they're just fucking exhausting to listen to to me um and it says uh, listening to this album in the past when I first started listening to this album I never it's very rare that I made it past faith <laughs> like as soon as it hit faith I was like oh album's done moving on <laughs> um but yeah so those are my overall thoughts of this album. Um, if you've come up with a rating yourself. I think I do. Uh, or I think I did and do and will. Um, I'm going to give this a... Oh, damn. <laughs> well, because I just thought about like 14 different, you know, arguments. Uh, but I would say... Probably a 2.3 because um, Durst brings it down most of the time. But mm, I think yeah. instrumentally, you know, this is a pretty fucking solid band, you know, just uh, I love funky bass lines and stuff. Mm. And those are present. Uh, I also knock points off because DJ Lethal, even though he's supposed to be, you know, the fucking DJ. He doesn't feel very present on this, but right. maybe that's because of the production value. So, or we're just kind of using like the use of the term DJ and what they normally do um, with their craft. And since we don't see a lot of that, maybe he's doing a lot of background shit that we're just not aware yeah, that maybe, he's maybe doing. Maybe there's a whole bunch of other stuff going on that just gets washed out because right. of the production value. And so maybe a cleaned up version of this album, you know, would you know kind of highlight more of what he was intending to do, but True. just got smashed out by just you know wacky ass wes's you know guitar work and and even some of the fucking drum work on this it was, mm -hmm. it was like really you know in your face um god damn there was some fucking just bass drum just just kicks that just went just through me you know mm -hmm. and, it was just, and it sounded great right but then i went wait a minute this band is more than just Durst, Borland, Otto, yeah. and Rivers. I, I I will say that listening to this album does benefit you in some way to listen to it on a good uh, pair of headphones. Word. Um, listening on your phone or like cranked up in the car or something, so you can hear all the little all the parts and all the instruments and stuff like that. Because um, I could really tell the difference just listening to it from the speaker on my phone. To going to my computer and putting on my headphones and really giving it a good listen, which is probably in any way, if you're going to talk about an album or a song or artist it's or something, you should go about it. Yeah, yeah, you should really give it I the best possible give listen it you the can. Headphone of like treatment. Uh, I, I did uh, at least one time, um, and it, it does make a difference. 
uh, you can appreciate the music a little bit more. Um, Fred Durst kind of feels a little bit more, um, I'm not say present in the mix, but like um, his presence in the mix seems a bit more accurate. You give this a 2.3 out of 5. Yes. I'm going to say, I've had this number in my head for a while now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go right down the middle, 2.5 out of 5. Um, again, Fred Durst is the reason why I probably wouldn't give this probably like a 3.5. Right. And I, I wish the band had more opportunity uh, here and in albums after this to showcase a little bit more of their talents because I feel like they're really good and... They're just a bit more. They're just stifled in this uh, this band. I really dig Sam Rivers' bass lines a lot. Fuck yeah! Um, I, that's probably my more than West Borland's guitar work. I like Sam Rivers' bass playing in this album. I like funky bass. Yeah, what can I say I, I love the bass? Yeah. You know, uh, just in general, mm-hmm. and I think Rivers did well in this album. But once again, dealing with the headphone treatment and. Also, the production value overall, he got a little washed out too. Mm-hmm. But on breaks and stuff, that really, you know, that bass just came through and it's like, okay, cool, nice and groovy, you know, fat, sick, you know, whatever one of whatever adjective you want to throw on it. Right. But it's just it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. Uh, you can you can do this on your own. You can go through and read some of actual real critics. Uh, what they give uh, this album. Now, mind you, some of them did give it a positive review, but there are a lot of bad reviews out there. And they're, they're humorous, humorous to read. <laughs> you can go off and do that on your own. Yeah. Um, I, we invite you to, actually, because yeah. some of these are really funny. And some people are really, you know, fair to mm. the band or whatever. But some folks just trash this fucking <laughs> album, and it's hilarious. Yeah. And I, and I, I will say that the, the fact that... Uh, Limbiscuit didn't do themselves any favors uh, later on in their career and the way they presented themselves in certain Woodstock 99, for instance. I'll bring that up. Uh, now, people blame them for, like, causing a lot of ruckus, but, I mean, like, the ruckus was already there. They just played the goddamn show and moved on with their lives. And they're, they're goddamn entertainers. Fred Durst is a showman, and he's going to do what he can to get the audience riled up, and he did that. Yeah. And everything else after that was going to happen regardless. It's like, you know, he's more of a villain. Not a super villain, but just <laughs> a villain, you know. just Yeah, so, I mean, you take Limp Bizkit for however you wish. Um, if you grew up in the 90s like we did, um, this probably plays a little bit different for you. Um, I don't know how any new a kid, like nowadays, any high school person, how would they accept or... I don't know. Uh, Are they potentially going to be the school shooter? Because uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what race are they? (laughs) Uh, Ethnicity? Yeah. Um, Definitely white. Yeah, probably white. Yeah. 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 Um, But yeah, so that's our. this is the return of Anatomy Mixtape. Um, I they hope, should get better, guys. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope you guys enjoy the next one. We're going to cover a significant other. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, this one has been in the works for a long time, actually. We were going to attempt to do this earlier, but since uh, giving Daniel the Halloween 
choice. You want to just let them know what we're going to be talking about? Oh, I keep bringing it up. Actually, I cut out of a video version of something we did. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but MF Doom. Uh, and so that will actually be releasing on October 31st. Right. And here's a little fun factoid for you, Ray. Do you know what MF Doom and Sean Connery have in common? I do not. They died on the same day. No shit. The, no shit. No shit, for real. Yeah, for real. Oh, man. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that should be an interesting episode. Then. Doom, the supervillain <laughs> that Fred Durst wished he was. <laughs> <laughs> he wish he could, like, rhyme like fucking MF Doom in some way oh, or another. Jesus Christ, man. Imagine, oh. imagine if uh, Fred Durst was as good as MF Doom. How would the band, like, how, what would Limp Bizkit be? <laughs> I'm just wide-eyed with the potential of that, man. Dude, whoa. Like, uh, anyway. Um, yes. So, yeah. Uh, so, this is kind of our uh, dipping our toes back into Nanny Mixtape. Uh, we we were talking before the actual official recording started. Just like, you know, it feels weird, you know, jumping back into this because it's been a hot minute since we've done this show and we've also never done it together. Yeah. Right. And it's just been a, it's been a, a whole Cast group, thousands, group effort. Yeah. 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 And, um, a lot of technical issues that re- resulted in uh, frustration and almost oh, and uh, wanting to give is, up uh, entirely. <laughs> this is also the first time we're breaking in uh MoQuest central studios. Right. Um, true. Right. This, we are recording it in the new studio right now. Um, hope it sounds good. I guess. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll, I guess you're going to find out. When yeah, when I edit this. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, again, we do appreciate everyone listening. Make sure you follow us on all the social medias. Uh, we do have YouTube channels for CineQuest Video and Valley Strange, if you want to check those out. Um, also, uh, MoQuest, at MoQuest Studios on Twitter and at Anatomy Mixtape on Instagram. We have our own little profile page for that. And we'll be updating that as soon as this episode is coming out and up up to the episode release. So I'm not exactly sure when this will come out, but hopefully it'll be within the next week or so. Right on. Um, so, uh, again, thanks for listening. We hope uh, all of our fans who actually did listen to past episodes will like this one and continue to support this podcast. All five of you. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully those in uh, South America are still with us. <laughs> Thank you, bots. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next time. See you, dudes.